All right, ready? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right, good. Welcome to episode 131 of Auto Off Topic. How you doing, Brad? Not bad, Andrew. What's going on? Not much. We actually meant to talk about this last week, and we totally forgot, was that we helped our friend go through a bunch of his old magazine collection and sort them and then recycle ones that he doesn't need anymore. And uh, boy, I sure do miss Sport Compact Car. Pre-2000 Sport Compact Car. I just miss having it in general. I mean, all the people that were there went to Moto IQ, so... Is that still most thing? of the people, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's a pretty good blog. So, but it's mostly it's all the heavy technical stuff. I'm so bad at remembering to read blogs. Yeah, it's kind of hard now. You kind of have to make it a habit. Yeah, because it's not just there. Like a magazine was always just there. Yeah, you could put it somewhere and just pick it up and read it. You know, you'd have a magazine in the bathroom and a magazine next to the couch and a magazine next to the bed, and you could always just. You had a few minutes to pick it up and read it. It's a little more difficult to think because mm-hmm. I'm on a computer. I'm on a computer all day at work, and then I'm not like I can't wait to go home and get back on a computer and read blogs. Yeah, I mean, if you've got some downtime, a little breaks, like Speed Hunters is always good, and check out Moto IQ. Yeah, there's a few that are good, but it's just hard to remember to go to them. That's all. Yeah, I'm not saying they're not valid. They're not good. It's just as a maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe younger people are more apt to read them. Because they weren't used to magazines, maybe it's but. the um, it's the ease of use, right? It's on your like Instagram is on your phone. That makes it super easy. Yeah, the blog is technically too. It is, but it, the, it doesn't have the convenient like, interaction all day. I think that's what it is. Whereas Instagram and Facebook, they suck you in because something's always happening. If you make a post, people react with you. If other people make a post, people react with that, yeah. and it's constantly live updating and live streaming, and you think about it all the time. No, the instant gratification of that. Yeah, I actually turned notifications off for Facebook on my phone, just because I realized how distracting it was during the day. Like, yeah, I, mean, I don't have it turned on on my Doing something, and then, burp, burp, phone goes off, and now you stop doing something, like, oh, what's going on? Oh, no, so-and-so just... commented on a thread that I don't care about, but now I'm stuck reading Facebook all night. Yeah, I just, I, I took off the whole app off my phone. I kept the app, so I can still go to it by choice, but I found that by deleting the notifications, it's really yeah. helped. So, to continue our StarQuest auction coverage, yep. Um, there's currently a black 88 Conquest TSI on BAT. Yeah, with the tan leather, which is pretty rare. 150k. Uh, the current bids, as of the recording of this podcast, was up to 7K. It still is right now, yeah. I just looked. Um, well, it's not 2003 money. No, it it's shows a- appreciation for the cars. I think this is a much more... It's a realistic price for a driver car. Yeah, it's, it's a much more representative car of the majority of the ones you see on the market. It has no real damage, but just slight wear. Um, and it has real miles on it, so you can use it without worrying about building miles up. And uh, at $7,000, if it stays around $7,000, I think that's probably a pretty good judge of market value for a clean driver nowadays. Mm-hmm. Cool. This beer you brought over is really good. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Coconut chocolate drop? Yeah, it's by four quarters in Vermont. 9%. Yeah, it was a little pricey, but uh, I think it's worth it. So Things might get weird. It's a little strong, yeah. I think we turn on the video camera. Ooh. 
Um, yeah, and speaking of BAT, I'm going home. The uh, super low mileage NSX that's on there was it like a 91 or a 92. Yeah, it's like 175 miles, 187 something. Yeah. Totally dumb. Like, what do you even do with that? I don't even know. Park it in the garage and look at it. What, yeah, what because it's do? it's never going to be worth as much as it is, it is right now with that many miles on it. I mean, maybe like 10 or 20 miles on it. Like, is it going to make yeah, a huge it, difference? It will build up moving it around the garage. Yeah, but it will just Once forever. Once a thousand miles on it, 5,000 miles on it, 10,000 miles on it, it's going to go down exponentially in perceived value or what somebody will pay for it. I know. It's crazy. So that brought me to our experiment with this episode, which was to ask our listeners questions. And I asked that on Facebook and I asked it on Instagram. Yeah, no, so we've got a bunch quite, to quite the uh, reaction to that. Yeah, so, but it's actually a, it's a pretty good thing because I remember, you know, growing up, it was always like, oh, the mileage is so important. You want low mileage cars, low mileage cars, and then now that I'm older and I play with enthusiast cars, I'm like, well, for one thing, I can't afford super low mileage cars, and right. two, if I buy a high mileage car with issues, I can play with it and fix it. Yep. And not care about too much about driving it. Like, it's just... I have strong feelings on the subject, which we'll get into later on yeah. as we discuss it. Um, because I've bought cars on both ends of the spectrum. Okay. So. And um, I actually don't have the exact questions pulled up I that do. I asked. So... What, what did I ask? Because I meant to put it into the... I came up with better ones than what I put in the notes. So, on the post you asked... Do you care about low mileage when buying an enthusiast car? Mm-hmm. What's the lowest mileage for an enthusiast car you'll buy and start driving? What's too high? Right. So this also has to do with age too, because we're not talking we're not talking going out and buying a brand new FRS or GT eighty six, whatever it's called today, because that's an enthusiast car with no miles on it because brand new. We're talking about vintage cars, obviously. Uh yeah, and I I didn't ask I didn't clarify that because our it's, audience probably, is, is probably smart that. enough to figure it out. Yeah. yeah, they're they're all into that stuff, so that was pretty clear. Um, but I guess we can start with. Should we just start talking about what people said, and then we can go over our opinions afterwards? Yeah, we'll kind of hit some cliff notes here. I think. Yeah. So, on Instagram, uh, Judge underscore Mills, uh, he says mileage is just a number when buying an El Camino. Clearly, that's a jab at me. It is. But seriously, for me, mileage is of no concern. If I'm not buying highly collectible vehicles, as they're purely for enjoyment. Yeah, purely for my enjoyment. So that was kind of the gist of a lot of people. Um, It comes down to the old adage of buy the nicest car you can afford. Buy the best example of what you want that you can afford. mm -hmm. So if you're looking to buy that El Camino, and there's one that's got... 150,000 miles on it, but it's in your budget. And there's one that's got 12,000 miles on it, and it's not in your budget. Just go ahead and buy the 150,000 mile air and call today. Yeah, and that's where Alex Stadel says, only as far as the best mechanical and physical condition I can find for my budget. Yeah. Oh, which yes, is, okay, exactly what I just said. Yeah, which is exactly, that's that's pretty uh, general, solid advice that a lot of people have, and a lot of people follow that. Um, you know, you know, like he says, he always feels the urge to save and rescue cars, but also reaching a high mileage is a goal, especially if you surpass what the previous owner put on the car. Yep. So that's a neat thing. I remember selling the Montero, 
the first gen, the 89, to yep. the guy in Connecticut, and he it had about a little over 250000 and he's like, oh, I really want to get to 300000 with it. Right. All right, cool. In a related note, we I this is just a totally unrelated but interesting quip. We had a, um, after I talked to you about it, I checked the year, it's actually 2013 Mazda CX-5 rolling into the shop today. Yeah. Mazda CX-5, normal yep. modern SUV. Yep. Not known for anything spectacular other than being a decent little crossover. Yep. Uh, 534,000 miles on it. And a 2013. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of miles. Somebody drives a lot. Yeah, they do. But I was impressed at the condition of the car, given the mileage. Like, the seat bolsters aren't torn. The steering wheel isn't, like, completely falling apart. The car is in decent shape, considering the mileage on it. It must so. be, like, one person that just drives it, and then he does. He uses it, the car. He uses it for work. He, yeah. he, he, run, he does medical runs between Boston and Bangor. So... Uh. Bangor, Maine. Uh, yep. Banga. So he runs medical supplies, um, probably body parts for <laughs> surgeries and all kinds of stuff. Maybe. But yeah, he does. So, But he does all day back and forth. So that's how he has over half a million miles on a fairly new house. I guess that's the most efficient way to do that. Yeah. Just put it in somebody's car. Yeah. You, just, you don't have a big truck. To ship things back and forth, obviously, and nope, and it can just get places really quickly. Yeah, and there's like no complications of like helicoptering stuff because it's not like a probably it's not like a super emergency. I'm sure if it was a super emergency, they wouldn't give this guy and his Mazda the thing. It would probably be in the helicopter. Yeah, his is like urgent, but not like an emergency. Right. Huh? Interesting. Yeah, but anyway, there's a weird quip about a half a million mile. 2013 Mazda. I just, I'm, I'm impressed, and it, and it, there's been no major repairs to the Mazda. He said the engine, engine's never been apart. So that's that's impressive. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so, back on topic. So some other stuff. Uh, I think it's uh, Nanary Core. Uh, so it doesn't matter for me because I like the old 70s cars, and I have to touch and replace everything on the car, anyways. So <laughs> that also happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. You get to a certain point with an enthusiast car, and it doesn't really matter because it's just so old. You're gonna have to replace everything anyway. Age versus mileage is sometimes a concern. I mean, if if you're buying a complete basket case, then does the mileage really matter? Because by the time you restore it, the odometer might as well be zero, anyways. Yep. You know, like a yeah, it doesn't matter. Like if if you pulled like a full body off frame restoration of a vehicle down to bare metal. Well, you'll see a lot of cars that are, are sold after being restored, yep. and they'll have miles since restoration as the as the landmark mm-hmm. versus miles from new. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, the good tyrant on Auto Off Topic, so our Instagram page, he uh, commented on it too, basically saying that he's had done it both ways. And he said, I'm sure there are cars that he'd feel a little bad driving because the mileage is too low, mm-hmm. but he's so attached... Um, but he's attached, he he attached to the it. car, so he buys the car, and he just likes to use it, so it doesn't really matter to him, which is another common thread that we had amongst the responses, that people are like, it's my car. It's not an investment. I don't buy a car to invest in the car. I just want to enjoy it. Well, that's so, the adage of, our, who are you saving it for? Are you saving it for the next person? Right. Why would you save it for the next person? <laughs> There's also a thought there where it's, I'm not saving it for the next person. I'm preserving history. I want there to be this car that in 
30, 40 years from now is still all original and can be used as a benchmark for restoring others because this guy's never been touched, like my Camaro. Okay. Part of the reason not to ever paint the Camaro, even though the paint's kind of faded and kind of checked, is it has the factory-applied stripes, the factory-applied paint, so you can see exactly what the car looked like coming off the factory line. You know all the measurements of all the stripes. That car is not so nice that you would never want to drive it. The problem is, though, is it's still hard to drive it because I'm afraid something's going to happen to it. It's a survivor car. And the problem is... I mean, you're not going to drive it every day. No, but if something happened to, say, the passenger side door... Yeah. And you need to put a door on it. Yeah. I'll never make it match the rest of the car. So then, forever, it'll be a blemish on that side of the car, and I'll say, hey, this really sucks because now I have... One door that's new paint and the rest of the car is original and it looks goofy. So now I had to spend, you know, 10, 20 grand fixing the whole car mm-hmm. versus fixing the one door. So I have that issue too. I think my headphones just broke. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. You can't hear anything? No, I can hear in just the left ear. Oh, okay. As long as you can hear something, yeah, then so we're it's fine. like kind of annoying. But do you want to trade headphones here? You'll pause it for a second? No. Yeah. All right. No, I'll play with it later. Technical difficulties? We'll just roll with it. All right. Um, there's another thought here, which I wanted to bring up. Um, Instagram user, his name is Chillax, Chillax and Wagon. Um, yeah, I've had this discussion with him before about low mile versus high mile cars. Uh He doesn't like buying old cars that have less than a hundred thousand miles on them. Okay. And the reason is, I'll just read his response. How's that? We'll we'll talk about it afterwards because this is a thought. This is a process I hear on the internet a lot. Yeah. Um, sub 100,000 mile, uh, what's going on here? Sub 100,000 mile is too low for me on 30 year old plus cars. Previous experiences have told me on low mileage old cars that once you start putting miles on them, all those original seals and bushings start deteriorating rapidly. Doesn't take long for a 50,000 car to need as much, if not more maintenance than a 200,000 mile car that has been relatively maintained properly. Depending on the vehicle, 230,000 is where I draw the line on the high end for a gas vehicle. Mm. 330 for a diesel. 120 to 160 is my ideal range. I don't buy for collector purposes, nor to be garage trophies stroking my ego. Being driven, they're all meant to be enjoyed in the road under their own power. No car could stay stock forever, especially the older Mitsubishis that we're into. You'll at some point come to a point you need to adapt or make something work that's not stock. So, I've had this discussion with him before. Yep. And I'm not going to dispute his personal opinion or mm-hmm. his personal experience. Mm-hmm. However, I strongly disagree. Mm-hmm. I have had many 30-year-old-plus cars with well under 100,000 miles, mm-hmm. and I've never had any of these issues. I just drove my Sporo to Austin, Texas from Boston, and that car, when I bought it, had 55,000 miles on it. And it's an 83, and I bought it in 2012. Mm-hmm. And there was never... Maybe one seal, had the transmission seal had an issue. But who's to say that wouldn't have happened at a 150,000 mile car? Yeah, and I don't... It's got some oil leaks, but I don't see those as unusual. No. No, it's just gasketing issues. They get old anyway. But it's not anything that's not easily repairable. It's got like a piece of valve cover gasket, but it's an 83. Whether it's got a mile or 150,000 miles, a valve cover gasket wears out. I have cars that need valve cover gaskets every couple of years. That's just the way they are. Yeah. 
And dry so belts. <laughs> that's only one particular car. I mean, we could talk about the majority of cars that I've owned have spent a long time being parked. Yeah. Um, I know my Camaro was parked for 15 years before I started driving it. I know I have a 1974 Colt yeah. that has 10,000 miles on it, and everything on it is pliable and good. I haven't... The car doesn't leak a drop of anything, and it it's totally fine. <laughs> um, my NSU has a 71, and I got that in 09, I think, maybe 08, maybe even, I don't know, 07. Might have been 08. That was a long time ago. Um, but that had 42,000 miles on it, and it's a 71. Yeah. It didn't leak really anything, except for the valve covers, again, which are that car of cork, so that's even a whole other... A whole nother story. But, I mean, I have a 36,000-mile 90 RX-7. I have... Apex seals are going to fall out of it. Just fall on the ground. Through the pan somehow. I mean, everything I own has been relatively low mileage. My Starion, my 84 Starion, that I daily drove for two years, only had, what, 76,000 miles on it when we picked it up? Something like that. Yeah. So, I don't share this opinion. Oh, my 84 RX-7. I got that car with 38,000 miles on it. Yeah. And I drove that car a lot. I think I got rid of it with 10,000 more miles on it. Um, and again, I don't think we did anything to that car ever other than change the oil. Like ever. That just worked and worked. I think it just comes from uh, just being around this stuff that I don't... I'm so used to working on old cars that I'm like... If something breaks, I'm just like, okay, whatever. It doesn't. Yeah, it was bound to I break. don't expect anything to last unless I just did the brakes, right. and then suddenly they're worn out for some reason. Then I'm like, okay, that's weird. But like, it, generally, if I've done them myself, I don't have any issues, so I don't worry about them. I mean, look at my father's collection too. He has the yeah. nineteen thousand mile eighty four RX seven. He drives a few times a year. I know one thing I try to do when I'm buying an old project car is I do try to look at it now that I know more as like, okay, if I buy this for so cheap, what else do I need to do to it? Am I going to need to do a full brake job when I get it? Is it going to need all of valve cover gaskets? Stuff like that. Right. If I'm into it and I'm like okay with doing it, I don't really care. Right. If I bought something... And somebody told me that it was all good to go, like the brakes were just done, and I'm like, cool, and then, you know, you're driving it. I mean, of course, this would be silly if I didn't inspect it, right? But if you're driving it, and then, like, a couple months later, it needs front brakes. Right. I'd be kind of annoyed. Well, you could buy something and not inspect it. Like, I bought most of my, actually, all of my Colts have been bought pretty much sight unseen. Yeah. And shipped yeah, from other parts yeah. of the country. And I have to go on somebody else's word. Hey, this was done. This was done. That was done. Everything's fine. And then hope it is. So I get that. Yeah. Um, like one of the things when I bought the 99 Montero was that I asked Josh, like, hey, I know you're selling this thing to me for cheap, but is it going to need, like, brakes? And he's like, no, 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 the brakes are good. And then they were. They were good for, like, two years. Mm-hmm. And then just from sitting, the brake caliper seized. It was from sitting. Probably from sitting. Hmm. Maybe we shouldn't be buying low-mile cars then. That <laughs> that thing has almost 190,000. I know. I'm just... But uh, rear brakes tend to seize on them, and then the 
the front seats for some reason. Plus, the car sat outside in car a damp, sit outside. in a damp area, so it makes sense. During the winter, it doesn't get driven the salt, but it does have to sit outside. Yeah. So, you know, all that stuff. It just like uh, it depends on what your tolerance for it is. But I don't know if you've got a sweet spot that's working for you with these old cars. Keep on doing it. Yeah, I, I just. I, I echo what you say. The fact that the car is old, it's going to require work no matter what. So you just buy what seems like the best one you can buy. And, you know, with me, we're talking about buying old Dodge Colts. I can't really be picky and choosy because there's only so many of them out there. Luckily, as we've gotten older and, you know, you've made more money, then now you can afford to have a daily. So these older cars don't get driven every day. Yeah. So it, it makes it easier to uh, not worry about having them break or right. have to fix them all the time. Right. So, like, and that's the other thing I try to keep. Which I, person's daily is broken more, mine or yours? Uh, I would say yours. Yeah, but they're not very far apart from one another. I mean, the Subaru doesn't break that often. No, neither does the Raider. And actually, it's it works. not. Honestly, the Subaru doesn't really break too much. Stuff wears out. Okay. And I have to replace it. Okay. Which is fine. I'm fine with maintenance. If I'm driving a car and it needs things need to be replaced because I've worn them out, I mean, I'm also okay with that. Make fun of the Raider all you want. Yeah. But other than the catastrophic failure that it had a couple years ago. Yeah. I mean, it starts and runs pretty pretty regularly. Yeah. It doesn't break yeah. down. Doesn't yeah. leave me stranded yeah. as a general rule. Yeah. Other than that one catastrophic failure it had a couple of years ago. And then it stayed. <laughs> that was due to unforeseen circumstances, Andrew. But it's working now. Yeah. And I don't know. I just I have strong opinions on this. I don't think that the the internet opinion of oh my god, don't buy that low mile survivor car because you're gonna drive it one day and it's gonna explode in a ball of flame and you're gonna kill a small town. Like that's that's what seems to be the discussion on the internet. It's always the internet brings out the extremes in people. You know, some people say, "Oh, the low mile car is great," and some people say, "Oh my god, the low mile car will nickel and dime you to death." But I disagree with both. I've had tons of low mile cars. My father's had tons of low mile cars. I've had tons of high mile cars. You've had tons of middle of the road cars, and they've all had the same kind of streak of luck. I've had more cars over 150k than cars that are under. Yeah, I mean, I think both of us probably have. But at the same note, it's fine. They work just fine. Yeah, because when I bought my STI, it had like 21,000 on it. I was like, whoa, this is low mileage. And then I bought the new Evo a couple years later, so yep. I had zero miles on it. But my SI, I got it with like 116. My Talon had like 125 or something when I got it. Right. Now it's got like 150. Right. Uh, or maybe that was around one, 116, actually. Yeah. And the glot on the body had 125, and now it's over 160. Mm -hmm. Like 40K in the engine. And the uh, 40K since restoration. Yes, yeah, exactly. Since full rebuild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what did I get? The Subaru with like 160, and now it's up to over 186. Mm -hmm. So. Normal stuff. Yeah. Um, listener, Instagram user Flav247 uh, makes a point too about. Buying a car for collectible collectability, like yep. you're, you're buying a car to park your money. If you're buying a car to to, to make money on it, yep. He likes to buy cars that are fifty thousand miles or under, and that's a smart and move that's too. A smart if move. You're, if you're, you buy a forty thousand mile car, you have ten thousand miles of enjoyment before it becomes, 
you know, a different level of car? I know just in the normie used car world. 100,000 is the number nowadays. Anything over 90 is like, or just like in the 90, like yeah. under, under 100K. Yep. You're right. You go over 100K and it's like this. This like, car's garbage. It's like this consumer, like, yeah. red flag, like, no good. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like. Yeah, what's the difference if you're buying a car with 94,000 miles on it? You're going to have 6,000 more miles on it in three months. You know what I mean? It's like doesn't mean maybe it doesn't if it's matter. high for the age. You know, if it's a two-year-old car with 100k, that's or like 2013 with 536,000 yeah. miles on it. Yeah, I mean that car. The guy will probably run it till it doesn't run anymore. Yeah, that car won't get sold to anybody no. else. He's gonna buy that car new and get rid of that car and at a junkyard. That car got all of its money worth. Like, yeah, he used it to make money, so it's it's it, a piece of equipment for him basically. Yeah, and it it it'll just get recycled. Which another tangent. Uh, I did some junkyard scouting this week because I was looking for some uh, Montero fuel line, and we'll get to that in the project updates. But I noticed in – it's very hard to find Monteros and junkyards around here. Uh, but the majority of vehicles are between 10 to 15 years old now in junkyards. Mm-hmm. There's no, It's very rare to find something older than that. There's a couple small things that were in there, but you know, I posted some pictures of them. But for the majority of stuff, it's all 10 to 15 years old. And – but anyway, uh, charade life. Um, yeah, he says that low mileage for him depends on the car. Mm-hmm. If it's so rare, it would look good in a museum. You probably wouldn't drive it. Now that's like my father's RX-7. That's a museum quality car. Yeah, he drives it twice a year. Yeah, to a car show and back. Yeah, and that's understood. Uh, but what I do like at the end, he talks about his Daihatsu. <laughs> um, he says um, low mileage that way. High mileage depending on what the car is. Over one hundred and thirty thousand miles on a German car. I don't know. Which a modern German car I agree with, but it's a little tricky. Yeah, older German cars. Are you like, gotta be again in the right mindset and prepared. If you're into German cars, you'll be okay with it. Mm-hmm. If you if you've never owned a German car before and your first thing to do is buy a high mileage one, I would say though a pre ninety five German car is a little less susceptible. Okay. To that. Yep. Okay. A but, pre OBD two German car. But if you're buying an E forty six. And it's got over 130k. Yeah. And you've never owned a German car before. You're probably not gonna have a good time. The good thing about German cars, though, is that their fan base is they are fanatical. They are well supported. They're very well supported. There's tons of videos on how to fix them, and yeah. tons of buyers' guides for them. And there's like packages the companies yeah. have put together for you know recommissioning 150,000 mile E46. But it's all about being in that mindset for it knowing what you have to do you just have to be ready for it he goes on to say i don't know but my daihatsu has two hundred twenty thousand miles on it and it's as tight as a rusty bolt on a new england residing mitsubishi (laughs) all right sir touche well a daihatsu is a toyota product is it not so i don't know what it is (laughs) there's a lot of toyota dna in there so i don't know who's got a rarer car it's probably the daihatsu's (laughs) rarer than what everything else A, a glant VR4. Oh, it's definitely rarer than that. I think that it's probably even rarer than a Yugo because it's not even as well known. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody knows the Yugo. Yugo's nobody, got street cred. Nobody knows the Daihatsu. <laughs> his cars are really neat, though, and they have actual racing history in other, not his cars, but Daihatsu charades in general have a racing history in certain parts of the world, so they're kind of a they're kind yeah. of a neat little car. Yep. No, I've got, I took some pictures of his car at, uh, when I was at Radwood, too. Yeah, I would definitely... Uh, mm-hmm. I'd definitely be into them. All right. Uh, JDM Journeys. Uh, so he agrees, and he's saying with much of the above, so what we've already talked about. 
Um, so mileage plays a part, uh, but so does condition and maintenance. So he's seen 60,000, sub 60,000 miles in Japan. Sorry, sub 60, yeah, 60,000 miles in Japan. And they look beaten and vice versa too. 300 K plus now he's switched to kilometers on us and yet they look in good shape. So, and, uh, so his goal when he, he imports a lot of JDM stuff. Yep. He has a fleet right now of three JDM Pajeros. Yep. Uh, he tries to get to 100,000 kilometers, which is 60,000 miles. Mm -hmm. That's a good, because in Japan, it's well known that it's very expensive to own older vehicles. Yep. And one, and their inspection process is incredibly strict. Mm -hmm. And once they don't pass muster anymore, you just get rid of them, which is usually around 60,000 miles. Yep. It's rare to see a high mileage car in Japan. Somebody really has to love that car. Right. And that's probably what he means by the ones with high mileage are usually are very, very well maintained. Very well maintained yeah. because somebody loved this car enough to keep it on the road in Japan. Well, he was saying that 60,000 miles with a 15 to 20 year old car in Japan, he's in Canada, so he can buy a 15 year old yep. vehicle and import it. Gives him a pretty big pool of vehicles to pick yeah. from. Whereas in North America, a 15 to 20 year old vehicle with 60,000 miles on it is like few and far between. Yeah. So. And what he's saying also, too, is that they can go both ways with those low mileage. They can be completely haggard because somebody knows that the car is getting high mileage and they just stop caring for it because they know it's not going to pass the inspection, the road tests, or they took really good care of it. And now they're just going to send it to auction. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it cuts both ways, I guess. And, uh, you know, um, so, I guess that brings us to, we'll go to the Facebook comments now. And this is probably the one I love the most. Uh, David Thibodeau, no, I buy with emotions and pay for it later. Yeah. That's most of us. That's definitely 100% yeah. us. That's, I wouldn't have a... Buy high, sell low. I wouldn't have a driveway <laughs> full of broken cars if that wasn't the case. Yeah. That's yeah. usually the mistake. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have a t-shirt that was lovingly made for me by uh, Naomi that is a, um, it's a, a spoof on the uh, who saved who, um, like dog rescue stickers and t-shirts. And it's basically, it's this proud owner of a rescue and it has like a tire tread going through it. And cause it's because of my propensity for, mm. is that a word? I think I made that word up. My, uh, my habit of buying cars. Predisposition. From, there you go. Of buying cars from junkyards and forlorn backyards covered in leaves and trying to put them back on the road and save them. But in reality, just, Putting them in my own personal junkyard. Mm. All right. Leave himself aware. Danny Jimenez. He says he has a 99 XK8 with about 28,000 miles on it. It's constantly breaking due to lack of mileage or being a Jaguar. Yeah, that's hard to, <laughs> that's hard to separate. Call. It's hard to separate, Danny. But he also said he had an 88 Scirocco uh, that he bought with 35K the end of 92, man year old. Uh, and but that's also only a four-year-old car. That's almost normal mileage. That was normal mileage at yeah. that time, and got rid of it. Oh, one had three hundred seventy-five thousand miles on it. Uh, from what I've heard from other Scirocco owners, yeah, that is not a normal case either. Really? Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I mean, he at least drove and maintained it, and just like enjoyed it. I do like his last statement, though. Drive it. That's what the robots built it for. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, true. Why don't you check out Josh's there? Josh's? Where are you? He's skipping around here. 
No, I'm right below Dan's. Uh, nope, you have to go back because there's a bunch of new stuff has come through, apparently. Nope, I only went off what I put in the notes. Oh, see, I'm on the Facebook page. No. Uh, Josh can give zero cares about Miles. Uh, his general view is the more the better, no matter what it is, I'll end up working on it. So that's kind of what we've been saying since yep. the beginning. It's If they're old, they're going to break. Uh, whether it's 70,000 mile maintenance or 170,000 mile engine rebuild. They're built to be used, and when I see a low-mile enthusiast car, I just look at it like years of neglect, neglected fun for me. So, again, I see it. I don't agree 100% with it. I do like the low-mile cars. So, You know, there's a... I guess, like, if you could afford it and you can find it... Like, if I'm looking for a particular kind of car, low mileage is kind of the bet, like a bonus... I'm buying on condition, mm-hmm. history, ownership, rust, accidents. I'm I'm basically buying. I basically buy on condition. Mm-hmm. I don't care much about the mileage. I care about how much rust does it have, and does it run okay, or what am I going to need to do to it to make it run okay? Right. And maybe because it doesn't run so great, am I going to get it cheaper? Because I'm looking for a deal. Because I'm willing to put in sweat equity. You know, some people aren't. So if you aren't. If you want to be a car enthusiast and you're not totally into working on your own stuff, maybe the low mileage is for you, but definitely buy a car that's in better condition, mm-hmm. the best you can get. And that's the statement that we keep going back to. Just buy the best car you can afford, period, end of story. Mm. What else you got? Uh, your father commented. Yep. Tony Pascarella. Condition and how well it was taken care of matters to me. So funny that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, apparently, because that's exactly what you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, he doesn't want a lot of aftermarket mods or add-ons done to his. He likes to keep it stock as much as possible. Yeah. That's definitely your dad. Yeah. We've been hearing that for many years. Yeah. Don't mess with it. It's not broken. <laughs> Why are you changing it? It's not broken. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I kind of wish that my talent was stock on some days, but other days I'm like, no, nah, I don't care so much. I like that I modified it. Second year, about three grand, you're pretty happy that you modified it. Yeah. Yeah, it pulls pretty good. Yeah. And I've also, I've had it for so long, it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, and also, you didn't modify it because it was totally functional and fine. You modified it because 17-year-old Andrew drove it through a lake and punctured a hole in the side of the block and needed to rebuild a motor anyway. Maybe. Yeah, exactly what happened. I was there. (laughs) Um, Bradley Brunel. Yeah. Maintenance records and condition matter far more to me. And he is definitely speaking from experience because he has that 912E with well He's over 200,000 miles bag, on it. And we'll drive the crappiest cars. So he's me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's the, we're like spirit animals. Yeah. So it's convenient that we're both named Brad. Yeah. Yes, I am also a dirtbag that will drive yeah. cars for whatever. Did you do any maintenance? That? No, no, I just drove it. It drives. Well, no, you do a little maintenance. He does maintenance. He doesn't wash cars, but he does maintenance. There was a while he didn't do any maintenance he at 912 E. I heard. Oh, whatever. It's on the road. It's also a 912, so it's basically a Volkswagen bus. Yeah, it's a Beetle. Yeah, uh, with a Volkswagen bus engine. Um, whatever. It's uh, How is that different from a Beetle engine? It's a different engine. It's a Type 4 engine. Whatever. It's an air-cooled. Cooled. Air-cooled. Air-cooled four-cylinder. Anyway, but he has over 200,000-mile 912. He has an over 400,000-mile 944 turbo. So that to me yeah. is insane. <laughs> I get it's a pre ninety five German car, 
So it's not a problem. I mean, I guess they were like, that's what they say about early Mercedes, right? They're built to last forever. Forever. Yeah. They're overbuilt. Mm-hmm. And then Mercedes is like, oh, well, we want to sell more cars. Mm-hmm. We got to bring the price down. Yeah. yeah. The Walmart method. Mm-hmm. Make them cheaper for more people. But that's why the first Gen Montero is like, other than my engine failure I had, which was partly due to my own fault, because it overheated because it was an aftermarket radiator and it let go. Those trucks are oh so overbuilt that they just go and go and go and go. Well, that truck will run longer broken than most cars will run good. Well, we've covered that before. We've talked about it. How you know it sounds like we're old, real old here, but we're like they don't make them like they used to. But no, they old, don't. They don't. <laughs> but older vehicles were built um, heavier duty, stronger. Heavier duty. They were built to repair. They weren't built to throw away. And then when you got into the Late '90s through the 2000s, manufacturers needed to save money. It's it was just a it was, sign of the times. They it was had to do it. Saving money and planned obsolescence to sell more things in the future. Yes, it's, there's no denying that they definitely made stuff. I mean, especially German stuff definitely went down in quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the way the world went. It wasn't. It's not. This is not like a. No, uh, <laughs> no it's not a not, a, not an unknown yeah. thing. No, again, it's it's the the Walmart way of thinking. Make mass produce it really cheaply for the cheapest price possible. You know, you talk about you can go to talk about lawnmowers and companies that sold lawnmowers. They started well, they wanted to sell them at Walmart, and Walmart was like, "Well, they're too expensive. Make them cheaper, and we'll sell them." And then yeah. they made them cheaper, and now they sell them there, and now the quality I mean, is gone. That's like my I have a twenty year old snowblower. Okay, that works amazing. Right, and it lasts longer than some some of these ones that I hear people buy brand new ones and they break all the time. Yeah. So. I mean, again, it sounds like I don't want to be the guys that are like, I don't make them what they used to, but it's like... Basically, get off Andrew's lawn. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. But it is it is what it is. That's just the way the world worked. I mean, these, these companies are for profit, and you want them to stay in business, because that's just... Yeah. It's good for everyone. Not only do they keep making new things and having new products for people in the future, but if they're in business, they're more likely to have parts to fix the old chip boxes that you have. <laughs> yeah, and you'll, you know, if you want older stuff, it's always going to be, there's always going to be used cars for sale. Yep. They might go up as they get rarer, and but they'll always be available. So I'm actually, I'm actually in the market for a car right now. Yeah. Um, everybody that listens to the podcast knows I'm moving across the country. Yeah. Um, I'm actually leaving my job in a few weeks, and I'm going to have some time in between on both coasts where I don't have a normal job. So I said, I need like an 06 or newer car, and I'll just do some Ubering and lifting and stuff around here to make a couple extra bucks in between. Mm-hmm. So I need a car for that. Right. Um, mileage, again, was not really a concern when I'm shopping for like an 06, 07, 08 car. Yeah. Anything mid to late 2000s Japanese, you'll be good to go. Japanese, German, or American, to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter. They all going to have the same issues. I'd stick with Japanese, but... I mean... This is again. We're going off topic, but that's what we do. Um, like an 06 Jetta with a 2.55 cylinder is a pretty stout little car. That engine's been around forever. Yep. Not forever, but long enough time. It's pretty simple. I can buy one with sub 100,000 miles yeah. on it for 3,500 dollars. Those cars are built <laughs> extremely to a price point. Yep. Like they, well, they were for sure. No oh, question. Yeah. They still are to this day. Like mm-hmm. right now, the Jetta is like the cheapest car you can buy. That's not a Subcompact. Mm-hmm. You can still you can buy a Jetta right now for like fifteen nine. I mean, they took away stuff on those cars. Like the generation before had 
independent rear suspension, and they went back to the beam axle yep. on the next gen to Actually, make I them think, cheaper. I think the Volkswagen Jetta was the last car you could spec out without a radio. And that was in like 2014. I, I believe it. 2014. Yeah, I believe it. But they make a car for a market that it's needed. Somebody needs a cheap car. They are a decent cheap car. I'm not saying I aspire to own a Jetta. I'm not saying that it's going to be my be-all and all enthusiast car. But if I could buy an 08 with under 100,000 miles on it for like 3,500 bucks, just to make some money with, it's not a bad, not a bad deal. I don't think. I've talked about Uber Lyft cars before. Yeah, I I never thought of the Jetta. It's just I've been searching for cars with more dollar figure in mind than mm-hmm. mileage. So condition and dollar figure is how I'm shopping for a car right now. Mm-hmm. Whether the car has got 50,000 miles on it or 150,000 miles on it isn't really a concern to me. It's just, again, maintenance, condition, and dollar figure. So anyway, moving on. Um, a lot of people kind of echo the same thoughts uh, in different ways. I mean, it tracks. If you listen yeah. to this podcast, you're probably not far off from us. Yeah. Like Philip Weston says he's bought many a high-mileage car. Um, and as long as they've been taken care of and have a genuine history for high mileage, all highway commuting, et cetera, uh, they're often in better condition than low-mile cars. Yeah. <laughs> over and over again, same thing. Former guest AJ Vega says, unless it looks like it was garaged next to the Titanic, uh, you know, he's cool with it. Yeah, he's from Maine, so a lot of his stuff looks like <laughs> yeah. it was garaged next to the Titanic. Uh, David Dennis says, low mileage always nice, but maintenance and condition are more important. Yep. Same thing all over again. And then Jordan, speaking from experience, I just bought a 96 A50R, humble brag, yeah. with 230,000 miles on it. Miles doesn't matter so much as long as they know the maintenance history and have some background on the seller to know if they gave a shit enough to do things right. Well, the problem with those cars, too, is he was looking for a very specific enthusiast car that yep. they made a limited amount of them. And they those uh, generation Volvos ran so well and so long... Right. All of them have high mileage. I haven't yeah. seen one with under 200K in all the ones that he sent to us no. when he was looking at, like, they're all over 200K. Yep. And they're not, I won't say they're, like, dirt cheap, but they're not inexpensive. They're not inexpensive at all. No. They're not, they're not expensive, but they're also not inexpensive. No. They're not what most people would think paying for if, a 96 If you would told be. them what you paid for it, a normie person, you'd be, they'd oh, you think paid, you're crazy. You paid $5,000 or whatever for a yeah. mid-90s Volvo, you're out of your mind. Yeah. So, But that's how it works. It's like I tried to convince everybody with that story I told a couple weeks ago about my coworker who paid seventeen grand or sixteen grand, whatever it was, for an 11 Lancer Evo. Most people are like, you paid $17,000 for a 2011 Mitsubishi Lancer? Aren't they like sixteen grand brand new? Mm-hmm. So people don't understand. No, no. So, but that's being, the, being an enthusiast is not a financial wise move. But whatever. So that was really fun. I was glad that um, I thought. To yeah, no, awesome. Ask that question, and also thanks to everybody who answered the question. Yeah, really we cool appreciate well. the uh, engagement. That's really cool. A little different than uh, just taking straight uh, listing yeah, questions. I like it. So, uh, and, and then you don't have to listen to us drivel on about the weather. So. Damn it, Andrew. <laughs> I had to get there. Um, so, Project R updates. Yep. Um, I fixed the fuel line in the Montero. Was it due to no low mileage? <laughs> Undoubtedly. It's from the going from the dry Arizona climate to the moist New England climate. Ugh, moist. <laughs> so, I was trying to get the correct line from Japan. I got the wrong one, which is a bummer. Because if I had the original part, it would take me like 15 minutes to swap it. Mm-hmm. It's right on top of the engine. Super mm-hmm. easy to do. 
So then I was tipped off uh, from our other guest, Ron LP. Mm-hmm. I forget Ron's last name. Well, Instagram's name is Ron LP. Ron LP. So Go Ron, call him on Letter L, letter B. Yep. Um, he, on his uh, Starion, cut off the crimped ends of this uh, high-pressure line, which actually I posted this to my Instagram. Um, so it was like very – I was very surgical with the cutting wheel, and I went around where the crimps are and then was able to pull them off and then pull the hose ends off, which have pretty – average looking uh hose ends with a bubble flare so it took five, underneath the crimp part underneath know? the crimp part okay which makes sense they put the hose over it and then they crimp the steel around it but you have to be careful because the the steel collar is actually part of the line so that i had to very be very you can't just like slice down the whole steel collar that's crimped and peel it off I had to leave part of the original collar at the bottom because it's part of the fuel line. Mm-hmm. So I very carefully removed it, put on some Earl's vapor barrier line, some newer Earl's line that's designed for newer fuels. And uh, I bought the Earl specific clamps that they sell for that hose right? and tighten it all down and it doesn't leak and it looks like OEM. So I'm cool with that. Right. It'll work. It does look really clean. Doesn't anybody opening the hood that doesn't know those cars would never never know know it's not a factory line. (laughs) I bet you regular people won't even notice it. No regular regular Montero people probably won't even notice it. Yeah, or Mitsubishi Um, people. It's the same kind of line that is used from like my Conquest onto your Montero to a Gallant to everything. It's just a generic, almost generic looking Mitsubishi style line. Yeah, well, on the Montero, it has a longer metal part because it goes out to the oh, middle. Oh, it's not the shared amongst the cars, but the, the basic design is shared yeah. amongst the cars. So then I was actually, we talked last week about the Gallant having fuel starvation issues, and I was thinking about it. I had actually, when I restored that car with my dad, we had to crimp on an AN um, attachment to the original fuel sending unit. Because someone had welded it closed because they used a external pump, mm-hmm. so to save it, we put on it's a, an AN fitting from Earl's with a crush collar, so you can put over a regular metal line, and mm-hmm. it becomes an AN fitting. Mm-hmm. And so from there to the hard line of the car, instead of using the factory rubber hose, I built a braided AN line. And at the time, people were like, "Well, you're going to have some, you'll smell some fuel through it," and. I think what may have happened is over the last eight years almost. Especially with ethanol content. Yeah, that the fuel hose may have deteriorated and it might be clogging. So We also realized you probably never changed the filter in that car. Well, the filter was brand new when I put the engine in. Right. And now it's been like 40K, so it needs a new fuel filter. That is, It's due for that, so I'm going to do that. But this line I'm worried about because even on the Earl's website, you know, they talked about their braided stuff. Their older braided stuff is not as good holding up to the modern fuels. It's not holding up to ethanol. So their new Earl's has this vapor barrier fuel pressure um, fuel injection hose. They have it for carbon and they have it for fuel injection. Uh, it's got like this – It's you can feel it. It's really stiff to bend because it's got so many layers in it. Mm-hmm. It blocks all vapors. And it will hold up to modern fuels. So I'm going to rebuild that part of the line with this modern stuff. With this modern stuff. And then change the fuel filter on the Glant. 
Earl's has a cool history of Mitsubishi too. Oh, really? Yeah, they used to in the factory stock um, Starion days, the flat side Starion yeah. cars. There was an Earl's sponsored Starion. Oh, yeah. well, they're like a British company. I mean, they're owned by Holly now, but as far as like fittings and plumbing stuff for cars, I really uh, like them. So, I mean, that's that's what Chalaxon Wagon was talking about. At some point, you're going to have to fabricate something yeah. for your old Mitsubishi to yeah. to make it work. They don't make so. the parts forever. No, so and I have no, I have no problem doing that. I have no issue with that. No, and in fact, and it, it's the same thing where, um, you know, when I rebuilt the harness in the Glan or rebuilt this hose for the Montero, I try to like just for my own obsession, I like to make it look factory. Mm-hmm. This looks factory. So, you know, again, we're not, we're not, and never will be the concourse crowd. You know what I mean? The guys who have a car they restore for points at a car show and like it has to have the right date stamp on the hose and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like, typically, if I'm putting AN stuff in my car, I do try to use the black fittings because mm-hmm. I don't... The red and blue are a little bit showy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even though like the red and blue is kind of standard, it's just like you can go through old aircraft. They're, they use AN fittings in aircraft. Mm-hmm. You can see it on like astronaut uh, spacesuits. Like it's, it stands for Army Navy. That's where mm-hmm. it comes from. So... But, but yeah, we're more into cars for the yeah. driving aspect of it. And we were so. actually talking to uh, Jordan uh, from Iron Oxide Racing there. They have to replumb the whole uh, Spaghetti Golf. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be using a lot of Earl's and stuff. Yeah, and we've been going back and forth a lot the past few days. Actually, a quick update with that. I was up hanging out with them over the weekend. Yeah, Liz and Jordan and their other buddy, Andy, they pulled the engine all the way out of the car, the old 8-valve. Getting an ABA swap, mm-hmm. things are gonna be smoking fast. It's gonna be like, more modernly fast. I don't know if smoking fast. I mean, it's like a two thousand pound car. Yeah, with what one hundred fifty horsepower? Probably a little less, but it'll be a lot quicker. It'll be a lot, it'll be a lot faster and a lot more reliable than it was. Yeah, that's. I think reliability is the more important part. <laughs> yeah, because they were they re- they brought it to the uh, car wash to pressure wash it to get a lot of the mud off before they worked on it, yep. and it died. It died no way home. Yeah. <laughs> no way home. Just yeah, gotta fight car, it all the way. Car can finish the New England Forest Rally, but he can't drive down the street to the car wash. <laughs> but uh, Chalk one another one up for uh, did Chuckers towing service. What's towing service? Oh, did Chuckers? <laughs> yes, the Xterra did tow it home. Um, we looked at the Conquest. We did because we got I got the transmission in it, and I did a couple of test runs up and down the street because it's not plated yet. So I just didn't want to leave the neighborhood. Um, and it was making a kind of a scary noise that mm-hmm. almost sounded like a bearing noise from inside the car. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of parked it, and I've been busy and haven't gotten back to it because I've been working on the Raider and other stuff going on. Um, so we finally got it in the garage yesterday, and it seems, once we're listening to it under the hood, that it's not a bearing noise. I was worried that it was the fan that it's not supposed to have. Right. Well, the car is supposed to have electric fans. Yeah. Three electric fans. And I was worried that the engine was pitching right. and hitting the uh, shroud. But it's it, got tons of clearance. It has zero electric fans. Yeah. Out of the three it's supposed to have. And has one normal fan, like, bolted to like the water pump. a flex pump. fan, yeah. Yeah. Without even a clutch disc. Correct. Just hard bolted to the water pumps. That will eventually go. I'll put yeah. the fans back in it because it's how it's supposed to work, and it's dumb to not have it working that way. It sounds like it's up top, and it's a valve train noise. It sounds like a valve train noise, yes. So I think the plan is Lazy lifter or something. I think the plan is going to be to try to clean it as best as possible. Um, Just do a bunch of oil changes, get, you know, change the oil, get it up to temp, um, run it for a little while. It honestly sounds like my truck a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Just when you rev it really kind of quick, but... 
it's yeah, it's definitely not as it's not as bad as we thought it was. So I like to do a couple oil changes in it. I mean, I talked about putting some kind of a cleaning agent in it. You seem to think it's not a good idea. Start with uh, we don't know what weight the oil is that's in it. Right. Just start with some regular Dyno ten forty. Ten forty. Yeah. Throw yeah, a filter on it. Happens. Run it through it. Yeah, I drive it. I don't honestly drive it. But while you're into it, just drive it. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't want to blow it up if it, either. If it quits, I don't think it'll blow it up. If it quits, just part it out. I don't know. I don't want to do that either. <laughs> Why are you so attached to this? I don't know. That's my problem. That's the whole That's the whole point of this whole conversation today, pretty much. It's like, it doesn't matter that it's got 235,000 miles on it. No, it doesn't. Like, it's just, it's clean. It's not rotted. Oh, clean's not the right word. It's not rotted. <laughs> It's it's eighty percent all there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with if anybody listening has a complete interior for a conquest or a starion, that will probably be the next step. Um, I don't care what color because all Just, the colors will work. You know what? It's a good car for is drive it till it goes, like what Ron's doing. Yeah, and then put a different engine in it. No, why not? Because it's not worth putting a different engine into a car that needs all the other work. You just said that it's not rotted, and it's almost all there. But it needs paint and interior. Okay, who cares? Who cares about paint and interior? Throw a V8 in it, and drift missile the thing. No, I won't do that. <laughs> you know better than that. You know me better than that. Everybody knows me better than that. I don't like drift missiles. Whatever. I don't like destroying old cars. I like to make them better, just not worse. drive it with an LS? I'm okay with that. Yeah. But you also know I'll never do that, so it doesn't matter. You should do that. That's a good car for it. Whatever. If I was going to LS the car, I'd be a flat car. Okay. So, anyway. Oh, again, way off the whole thing. So, we determined that it's probably top-end noise. We're going to change the oil. We're going to change the oil a few times and see if we can clean it out and see what happens. Worst case scenario, I'm an expert now at taking off... The valve trains in G54Bs. Yeah, you are. I've done it so many times that yeah. I could rebuild that whole valve train in an hour and a half. Yep. So I'm not worried about it. If I have to buy new lifters, I'll buy new lifters. Because mm. it's, I mean, I, the first time I did it, we did it in the dark in the driveway, and it took probably three hours. After that, I mean, I'm, I'm down to like 30-minute valve train swaps, mm-hmm. thanks to the Raider. <laughs> so I'm not worried about that at all. Oh, I did pull the pull the talent out of storage. Yeah, we went for a drive. Yeah, we met up with our uh, Cars and Coffee organizer crew, which the Southern New Hampshire Cars and Coffee first yeah, one to be April fourteenth. April fourteenth. That's in like three weeks. Salem, New Hampshire, at the coffee, coffee factory. Factory, which that whole plaza is changed where it's at. So it's a whole bunch of new places in there. I hate change. I do hate change. <laughs> Don't make them like they used to. I do hate change, but. Um, this is positive change because it used to be your only option for coffee was the coffee factory. Which is very good coffee. The event. It's very good coffee, but when you get 300 people show up at the same small coffee shop with two employees, the line gets a little to be crazy. Fair. They have more employees during the cars and coffee. Yeah, they have stepped it up a little bit, but the line still gets pretty long. Okay. Um, I hate chains. You know that. Um, but there's a Panera in the parking lot now, too. So, but hey, I'd I'm, rather wait in line. No. So here's what I'm thinking. That a lot of the crowd that doesn't want to wait in line will go to Panera, uh, therefore shortening the line for the rest of us right. that want to support the local business. Right. So, uh, yeah. So I took the talent out. Uh, you know what was pretty cool about that is that I just rolled it out of the garage, 
and it was pretty much ready to go. I checked yep. to make sure the fluids were in it, and I I haven't done when, that in years. When your antique car is a fuel injected modern car, no, but like I had it on the tender, uh, yep. I guess, and then I mean I had one. So the HREs, the driver's side front, it's probably got some leaks between the barrels and the lips and whatever. So that tire was flat. I had to fill it. Yeah. But otherwise, the car was good to go, which is super cool because it has been years since I've been able to drive that car. So I'm so happy that yeah. I spent all that time last, last summer year getting, it ready. getting it ready to go to Radwood. So. Yeah, thanks, Radwood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, I took the Colt out, the 78 Colt, the blue car. Yep. And I had the same experience. Um, the right front wheel is flat mm-hmm. um, because it's a 40-year-old wheel and it yeah. just doesn't perfectly seal, so it goes flat over the winter. Um, but, I mean, I put the key in it. The car wasn't on a tender. Um, the battery is disconnected, so I reconnect the battery. I put the key in it, and, I mean, three or four cranks, the car started right up. Mm-hmm. That's with the carburetor from mm-hmm. sitting all winter, so I'm happy with that. So I put about 100 miles in that in the past couple of days and uh, put it back away and... It's all ready to go. I'm also super excited. I'm getting a new garage door. Excellent. So hopefully I won't be getting water underneath the threshold anymore when it rains. Nice. I definitely get water under the threshold of my yeah. garage door, but my garage door is like, bent. It's smashed pretty good. Somebody drove a plow into it this winter, I think. Uh, but it's also like... Also not yours, technically. You not know? mine. Yeah, it's rented. And the, and the garage door is like 10 feet wide by like 40 feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't want to be replacing that anyway. All right, cool. Uh, as always, if you want to participate in questions like that in the future, follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast, Auto Off Topic on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. Follow Brad. T-S-I-S-S-3-5-0. Oh, you got to post Steve's uh, meme. Yeah, I know. It's pretty damn yes. funny. One of our listeners made a meme about that, and it's pretty good. So we'll, I'll, You I'll, should do it tomorrow. I'll post that up on I'll Instagram. I'll remind you. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. As always, keep cars analog. Keep them lower high mileage. Just drive them. Yep. Drive them. Just drive your cars. Yeah. And aim for the roses. <laughs>